Welcome back to the OCD Bunked podcast. My name is Jenny, and thanks for coming along for the ride today. All right, everybody, welcome back. If you're new here, welcome. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. I am so sorry that I haven't been posting for the past few weeks. I've been super busy, and I'm actually really excited because this is my first podcast being recorded in my new house. Um, So some of you might know I am moving. I just bought my first house with my sister and my cousin, which is exciting but also super terrifying. Um, So yeah, we're not officially moved in yet, but I decided to record over here today since I'm here anyways working on the house. And please pardon my furnace that you might hear in the background. Um, We have all the doors off of our rooms and the furnace room is like right next to me. And um, currently my air conditioning is like struggling because I came in about a half hour ago and it was 77 degrees inside. So um, yeah, I apologize for that. But um, let's get started. So this week's topic is a subtype deep dive. I want to do a few different episodes on various subtypes and kind of dive more into the intricacies of these subtypes because I know that each subtype kind of has its nuances, but the more you know about the subtype and about OCD in general, the easier it is to break down your subtype and really break it down into small steps where you can easier i easier easier i don't know where you can easier identify more easily how about that you can more easily identify what is ocd um so what i mean by that is somebody might struggle with contamination ocd and that might be their main subtype and then somebody might struggle with harm harm ocd let's say and although both of those things are ocd um it's probably a lot harder to recognize them as OCD when you start out on your recovery journey and start out with ERP because you look more at the high level of the compulsion or the fear or whatever it might be, the obsession. And it's hard to break down and identify your thinking as, yes, this is OCD because of X, Y, and Z. It's more like, no, this is something new and I don't know what it is and it's scary, so it must be real, it must not be OCD, it must be like my rational brain thinking. And um, the more that you kind of learn about your subtypes and learn about your thought patterns, the more you're able to recognize, hey, this thought pattern, while it's completely different thoughts and completely different fears, um, this still kind of resembles the thought patterns of this other thing that I was struggling with, which I know definitively is OCD. So this new thing I'm worrying about must be OCD as well. Also, if you hear my computer sounding like it's about to lift off into space, it is like super overheated right now. I don't know. I put it in my backpack from work and when I got back here, I took it out and my poor little apple that was in my backpack basically got turned into like apple pie because it heated it up. But um, yeah, we'll just hope that my computer doesn't crash in the middle of this. Anyways, so this week's subtype deep dive is going to be about scrupulosity. And I'm not going to lie, I've been putting this episode off for quite a while now because this is going to be really difficult for me and probably really triggering for me because this is my main subtype. I, I guess you could say this is the subtype that started it all for me. And my base fear is all centered around scrupulosity and basically all of my other subtypes can trickle down into a form of scrupulosity if you analyze it more. So... This is the one that still gets me the most to this day, and it's something that I still need to work on on a daily basis because if I don't, um, it's really, really bad. So what is scrupulosity? Now, there's religious scrupulosity and moral scrupulosity depending on whether you're religious or not. And basically it's the same thing where you, you hold yourself to a higher standard than you hold everybody around you to. So basically, if you are religious, say you're a Christian, um, you believe that God has higher expectations of you than of everybody else, even if you've never admitted that to yourself. 
Um, so for me personally, church and my faith is the most important thing in my life, and my relationship with God is the most important thing in my life. So it only makes sense that scrupulosity is what I struggle with the most because OCD attacks what you love most. And so um, I don't think that's something that you should continually comfort somebody with who is struggling with scrupulosity because then they can take that as, oh, I must be struggling because um, this is the thing that means the most to me, which means I'm like actually caring. And then they can use that as a form of reassurance for themselves. But I do think that you can use it as assurance and as um, encouragement once in a while, because it is good to remember that, you know, sometimes I wonder why am I struggling with this so much when it seems like other people don't, or most other people don't, and why can't I just be normal, for lack of a better word? And um, I think sometimes it's good to step back and pause and realize that the reason that you do struggle with this the most, um, if you do, is probably because it is what means the most to you in the world. Now, if having, like, if winning a hot dog eating contest is what you struggle, or is what you value the most in your life, then most likely your subtype is going to revolve around something about, I don't know, harm OCD and being scared that you're going to choke on hot dogs and then not win your competition. I don't know. But, like, basically, whatever means the most to you in your life, if you have OCD, it's most likely going to latch onto that. And it's going to try to rip away what you love most. And I think that's the hardest part about it because the injustice of OCD in and of itself is already really difficult to process and accept. But once it starts attacking the things that you hold the most dear and the things that seemingly should be your escape from struggles or like um, hardships, once it rips that away too, it just seems like such an awful injustice and it's it's really hard to accept and it's really hard to pick yourself back up from that and and move forward and kind of say okay even though this is ripping away everything that I hold most dear I have to pick myself up and keep going and work through it um so as I said scrupulosity can be faith-based or it can be morals-based. So if it's faith-based, um, you can hold yourself to higher standards than other people. So um, anything in the Bible that you read, um, you're going to take that to like the extreme. There's no, there's no gray with OCD, right? It's always black and white. And seems like you always need to be falling into the white. Otherwise, you're automatically like on the super, super, super black side of things in the sense of like you know there's no gray area here so like even if you think that you did something 99.99999% perfect but you feel like there's like 0.0000001% that you messed up automatically you're going to think that the whole thing is messed up and that you're condemned in some way or there's a lot of different instances of it and a lot of different details and you know but um basically that's it if you don't feel like you've completed something in your life one million percent perfectly then you feel like it wasn't worth it at all you feel like you completely messed it up and um and then moral scrupulosity as well that's for people who um don't live a faith-based life, right? Um, but that can also be something that means the most to you in your life is your morals and am I a good person and am I treating others right? Am I, um, you know, being a productive member of society? Am I making my mark on this world? Whatever it might be, um, scrupulosity can attack people like that as well. So um, the hard thing about scrupulosity, I would say, and the reason that I would put it as the hardest subtype, even though I'm a little biased because this is the one that I struggle with the most, but I genuinely do think that this is the hardest um, subtype to tackle because with all the other subtypes, and I think I might have mentioned this in a previous episode, but with all the other subtypes, basically whatever your end fear is, 
you might think like in your mind you build it up to kind of this is the end of the world like I'd be better off dead type of thing right um, but it ends there and with scrupulosity your end fear most likely is I'm not going to make it to heaven and so it's an eternal consequence your fear is an eternal consequence so battling that subtype with ERP and fighting directly against it and needing to accept the fact that yes I might go to hell is really 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 difficult because if you think that it's difficult to accept an end fear that you're gonna have to go through and deal with and say hit and run OCD let's say you have fear that one day when you're driving you're gonna accidentally hit a pedestrian and you're gonna kill them and then that's your end fear well if you play out that end fear to the end um, you might have to go to court right and stay on trial and maybe people are gonna think you're an awful person and then you're gonna spend a few years in jail but you're always going to get out or even if you die in jail then it's over but with scrupulosity it lasts for eternity and so asking somebody to face a fear like that is in my opinion so much more scary um, than a lot of the other subtypes not to say that the other subtypes don't feel just as real or just as scary but I think that from what I've seen of people who struggle with scrupulosity this is their subtype that they find the hardest to work through um, because most of the times people don't have strictly one subtype um, their subtypes trickle into many different subtypes and many different manifestations of their OCD. And so this is actually going to be my first piece of advice for anybody who is struggling with scrupulosity is if you don't know where to start, I highly recommend, and if, if you have multiple subtypes, I cannot recommend enough, start tackling your other subtypes first. Because, um, whether you're in ERP therapy or not, I'm not sure how much you might know about ERP therapy, but basically, um, if you go into ERP therapy for like your first session or whatever, it's, it's pretty common that one of the first things that you're gonna do with your therapist is sit down and write a list of all of your compulsions, all of your obsessions, and rank your anxiety. So you basically make a pyramid of, like your fear pyramid of, um, what things aren't so anxiety inducing and what things you just completely it's like makes you the most anxious in the whole world those are your tens those are your top so it goes one to ten and I'm sure other people do it in different ways this is just the way I do it with my therapist where he ranks my anxiety level from one to ten and when I went to um, my outpatient um, therapy program a couple years ago we started on the lower ones because we started tackling the lower fears, the lower um, obsessions and compulsions because once you get the practice of overcoming something lower on your pyramid, you have the know-how and the confidence to start tackling the higher ones. And oftentimes it happens that once you start tackling those things that aren't so scary to you, once you get to the scarier ones, they're not quite so scary anymore because you can more easily identify them as... Um, as OCD rather than as like a legitimate um, fear. Not legitimate because obviously the fear that OCD induces is legitimate, but like a fear that's uh, rational, let's say. So I highly recommend that you start tackling your other subtypes first. So say you struggle with scrupulosity, but you also struggle with just right OCD. This was a huge thing for me. Just right was one of my hugest subtypes. Um, so my therapist and I started with a lot of my just right compulsions. And once I mastered those, I kind of got those under my belt. I got the gist of ERP and then it was easier to work through the, um, the compulsions revolving around scrupulosity. And even within the subtype, you're gonna start with things that aren't quite so scary for you and then build it up from there. So I think a lot of people get overwhelmed by thinking that they're gonna need to tackle their biggest, biggest fears right off the bat, you're not going to have to because if you try to, it's not going to work. You need to build up smaller successes so that you can be confident and gain the knowledge to tackle the larger successes. Um, so that's, that's my first piece of advice. And I just want to remind everybody who might be listening, I am in no way a professional. I've just gone through this and um, 
me telling you these things isn't me trying to be all high and mighty. It's me saying, hey, I tried it the wrong way and it was awful. And if I can, if I can help you avoid the wrong way and just go straight to the right way or like the easier way of doing things, um, which might be harder initially but will be easier in the long run, that's a success for me. So if I use my mistakes to fuel your success and help you get to you know a great place in recovery quicker because you learned from my mistakes rather than needing to make them yourself then that's great and that's exactly what i am striving for here so that's number one number two i think that with scrupulosity it seems to be the case where i've seen a lot of people with scrupulosity not get treatment for a lot longer because um at least for me, I used to think that OCD kept me more spiritual. And I know that this is the case for a lot of people who struggle with scrupulosity. They think that if they go to therapy, their therapist is gonna basically brainwash them and then they're going to maybe feel a lot better afterwards, but they're not going to be as spiritual and they're basically going to turn their back on God. Um, and this is, first off, I want to say this is a very real fear, right? So you never want to go into therapy um, just with your eyes closed. But that's with anything. You always want to find a therapist who connects with you, a therapist who you work well with, and a therapist who you're comfortable enough with that you can tell them when you're uncomfortable to do something. And um, I think a lot of people misunderstand what ERP is, especially in light of scrupulosity, because they think that they're going to go into therapy and their therapist is basically going to say, oh, you believe this? No, your morals are like too strict. Don't believe that. Like, and kind of change your views on um, your, your morals and um, your faith, right? And if you have a therapist like that, run. <laughs> so... Basically, therapists should always be teaching for you to put your values over your fears. And as long as you're putting your values over your fears, your values shouldn't change. Now, your compulsions might be taking your values to an extreme that you need to kind of like calm down a bit, right? But um, your values are always going to be present. And the more you do ERP, the easier it's going to be to separate your values from OCD's values. And those are two completely separate things. So I'll tell you about my experience with um, going into ERP therapy with scrupulosity being my main subtype, because I think this might make a few people more comfortable to seek out help and um, start their recovery journey, because it really saddens me that a lot of people think like I used to think that if I go find help and I go to therapy, I'm going to become this not good person. Um, so when I went into my um, intensive program, like I mentioned, um, it basically started out as writing down all of my obsessions and compulsions and making that whole fear pyramid and all of that. But then from there, the way that we started tackling my scrupulosity was my therapist didn't say, okay, what do you believe about this, this, and this, and then judging whether that is something that you should kind of believe or whether it's too extreme. He didn't do that at all. What he did is he said, okay, what are the values um, that, or what are the beliefs that your church holds? Um, for example, what are like, not, I don't wanna say rules to follow because that makes it sound like weird, but basically what are the morals that your church believes that they should follow and what are the um, moral standards that every member of your church is held to. So we kind of went through that, and then he said, okay, from there, what are the things that you hold yourself to that nobody else in the church needs to follow? And that's where we could kind of start saying, okay, this might be OCD, and here's why. So he was never saying, oh, your church believes in that? That's weird. That's dumb. Don't listen to that. He never said that. Um, so basically, as an example, this might, this might make it a little clearer, because I'm not sure if I'm really explaining this well. So for example, if I were to tell him my church believes that you should never lie, um, which my church does believe, um, 
So, okay, so he would be like, okay, your church believes that um, you should never lie, and what things do you do that no other church member is held to? And that's where I would say, well, I do this because I feel like if I don't do this 100% perfectly, it's a lie. So let's say um, one of my big compulsions, and this is where you can kind of see that scrupulosity branches off into other subtypes. So at work, I, I used to work fast food, and at work I would have to make the lemonade in the mornings a lot of the times. And in my head, I had to make sure that I was counting everything I was doing, counting the amount of times I was swirling the lemonade. I was making sure it was perfectly measured out, the different um, ratios of sugar, lemons, water. Um, otherwise, I felt like in my head, it, I, I built it up to be, if I didn't do this 100% perfectly, I would be lying to the customer and lying to my boss, and then I would go to hell. So that's where you can see that although I'm not supposed to lie, that take OCD takes it to the extreme that nobody else is held to and basically makes it a life or death situation for me in my head, right? And if I were to step back back then, I completely realized this was irrational, but I couldn't stop it. I couldn't convince myself that it was my OCD. I was convinced that it was a rational fear in the sense of like the the rational uh, part of my brain realized that it was irrational but I could not convince the other part of my brain that it was irrational um so basically you write down a list of yeah everything that your church believes and the orders of the church and you know the um different practices of the church and anything above and beyond that to an extreme um, is most likely OCD and this is where it's really helpful to start with another subtype because you can start realizing the patterns of OCD um, and so once you come to your scrupulosity you're like oh wait yes I do think that forcing myself to do this 100% perfectly is my OCD because I noticed these same thought patterns that I noticed in my other subtypes that I've already tackled. So um, that's another misconception that a lot of people hold. And it makes me really sad because I know that these people, the hard thing about scrupulosity is your biggest desire is to be a good person. And you want so badly to be freed from this burden. And at least for me, and sometimes still now, but especially back then when I struggled with it more, I would look at other people and I would look at these amazing Christians and amazing members of my church who I looked up to, um, and I would wish that I could have that freedom about me that they had and that, that burden lifted off of me, but because of my scrupulosity, I never had that. And to this day, I still struggle with that, but I kind of recognize that you know, I, I hold myself to a higher standard and it's just always going to be a work in progress. Me, me, um, kind of fighting with my OCD and, you know, I'm never going to feel that peace a hundred percent like other people do, but that's just because I literally have the doubting disorder. So of course I'm going to struggle with it. Um, so a lot of people with scrupulosity really want recovery, but they're so scared of becoming a bad person in the process that they refuse to seek out recovery or even learn about it. Because for me, I still struggle with this where if I hear somebody saying something, so say there's like somebody who starts talking about this wacky like cult philosophy, right? I get scared to even listen to what they're saying because I feel like if I listen to them, I might, there's this fraction of a chance that my brain is going to be like, oh, that's legit. And then like completely turn away from all of my morals and everything I know I am as a person and just kind of go off the deep end and like join this cult. Um, that's like, I feel like that's what people who are stuck 
in the throes of scrupulosity are, are scared of. They're scared that they're going to find recovery that works, but as a result of it, they're going to turn into a completely different person. But this kind of leads into the other part of this deep dive that I kind of want to talk about because like I mentioned, you're always supposed to put your values over your fears. And I think that a lot of people, um, this is kind of going in the other direction of there's recovering from scrupulosity is a balancing act because a lot of the times with other subtypes, you can play out your end fear, right? So you can kind of you can kind of either through a narrative or even through actual execution, go put yourself in the position of your end fear and see, okay, that wasn't so bad. Um, if that end fear were ever to happen, I could live with it. I could overcome it and continue my life, right? But with scrupulosity, there's never gonna be a time where you're like, oh yes, eternal damnation, I can totally live with that. So it's something that you can't really easily um, accept. The acceptance of it is super, super difficult, but it is um, doable. So, and maybe, maybe I'll kind of branch off right there. I know, sorry, this podcast is kind of all over the place, but I'm just so passionate about a lot of different Um, points of this topic because I've lived it, I've seen other people live it, and I've seen other people be made fun of because they struggle with it every day, and I don't want that to happen anymore. I want people to realize that recovery is possible with scrupulosity, and I want them to realize that they can still live a faithful, fulfilling life on the other side of recovery. Um, So the little, little like, uh, side road that I wanted to go down for just a second is you have to accept your end fear. With anything to do with OCD, acceptance is the key of ERP. Because if you never accept that your end fear could come true, you're never going to fully get over it. And so for scrupulosity, it's really hard for somebody to accept that they might go to hell. And that was the hardest thing for me was you literally need to accept that you might go to hell. And I was really struggling with that for a while. Like, I can't even say that in good conscience that, oh yes, I might go to hell. I felt that for the longest time until my therapist explained it in a really good way that I still think of to this day, where accepting that you might go to hell isn't saying, okay, good, I might, like, it's, it's not being happy about it, but it's just realizing that every single human being born on this earth has already accepted that they might go to hell whether they want to or not, it's just part of being born as a human, it's part of human nature that that's just the way that, that's the way life works, right, you have zero choice, so accepting that you might go to hell isn't being all happy about it and being like, yes, if this were to happen, let's go. Like, it's not being gung-ho about it. It's just being conscious of the fact that because you were born a human, this might happen, and just letting it sit there and letting it be there in the back of your mind, but not giving any power to it. And um, as soon as I realized that, I was like, oh, technically I've been accepting this my whole life um, because because I'm a human. but now that I'm worrying about it, I just need to go back to the accepting. And the accepting of it isn't going to be waking up every day and being like, oh, yeah, I might go to hell. It's just being able to not even think about it because you're already automatically accepting it every day. So it's not even part of your conscious thought. So that's a little, sorry, that was like a little, um, (laughs) I kind of went off topic there. But that's something that I really wanted to share because it really helped me and I hope it would help some other people too. So another thing that I wanted to talk about with scrupulosity is you do have to put your values over your fears, but I have heard instances where, well, specifically one instance, but where um, somebody with scrupulosity was going through recovery and they had this conviction on a certain thing um, that they should, you know, live their life in this certain way. And one of their family members basically said, you're being too strict. Just stop, like lighten up. And I want you to know if you're struggling with scrupulosity, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way because you can take it to the extreme yet again. But I want you to know that if you have scrupulosity, 
you are still allowed to have convictions. Because I think that that's something that people are scared of, right? They're scared, well, I have all of these convictions and these things that I truly believe and these things that I value so much and love so much and I'm doing it because I love God. Um, and how am I supposed to give that all up? You're not. You're not supposed to give up the things that you do because you love God. The things that you have to give up are the things that you are doing because you are appeasing yourself. You're being self-serving rather than serving God. So for example, if there's something in your church that for years and years and years, um, the members of the church have held firm to, um, and suddenly some people decide they're not going to hold firm to that anymore, but you are convicted that you're still going to hold firm to that, I don't think that holding firm to that still is um, something that you're being too strict on. You can still have a conviction about that, but that might be something that you would take to somebody in the church that you trust very much for guidance, right? Say, hey, like, I'm going through this, I'm going through recovery with my OCD, and I'm not sure if this is a true conviction that other people hold, or if it's something above and beyond that where it's my OCD and I should work towards not um, doing this, because at that point it might be a compulsion, right? But, for example, in my church, we wear skirts and head coverings, the sisters do, the ladies, and, um, there are certain people who don't do that anymore. Slowly they're, you know, not wearing a head covering anymore, not wearing um, skirt anymore. And there are those who still hold to that standard that has been held to for years and years and hundreds of years. And I don't think that holding to that standard would be considered um, coming from a place of OCD because it's something that people in the church are holding to, even if fewer people are holding to it than used to. So um, I hope that makes sense. It's kind of hard to explain, especially because there are so many intricacies and there are so many different um, situations in which this might be your OCD, this might not be your OCD, and that's why you need a really good therapist at your side. That's why you need somebody from the church at your side that you really, really trust um, to make your recovery successful. I think those are two key people that you need in your life when you're going through scrupulosity recovery is a very good therapist who you can be vulnerable with and trust and somebody in the church that you look up to and trust. Um, so that's kind of something that I wanted to go over because you still are going to have convictions, you're still going to have morals, you're still going to have the things that you stick with even on the other side of recovery. It doesn't mean that you're suddenly going to be this awful person. And I think that the way to differentiate between what is you serving God from a scrupulous way and from not, um, you know, a, in a place of not having scrupulosity is to really gauge, like before, the way that I would tell people is they'd be like, man, why are you so scared? You know that God is loving and you know that he's not harsh and going to come up to you and say oh my goodness like you just said this one word wrong and then like hit you over the head and send you to hell he's not that type of god and i knew that but the thing i would tell people is i believe in god's faithfulness but i don't believe in mine and looking back on that i can really really realize that what ocd was making me do was not, I was not doing it for God. I was doing it for myself to appease myself and to quench my anxiety. So it was self-serving self rather than serving God. And I thought that on the other side of OCD, I wasn't going to be as spiritual, I wasn't going to be as faithful, but it's actually the complete opposite because all of that worrying and all of those compulsions are self-serving. And once you get those out of the way, you can actually have time to serve God rather than serving him because you are serving, your, or because you're serving yourself, because you're um, so scared that you want to do everything perfectly. So I can definitely say that on the other side of scrupulosity recovery, even though I struggle with it every day, it is so much easier, not easier, but it's just so much more of a joy to serve God now that my mind is so much quieter of all of the 
all of the different racing thoughts and fears and anxieties that used to run through my head don't take up as much space anymore. So it gives me more of a chance to to serve God and to do things for him rather than doing things for myself to please him. So if if God wanted us to just make sure we were 1 million percent perfect all the time and just sit in our little corner and like compulse to death, then he would never have laid out, you know, for us to go and help others and to be a servant to others. He would just say, okay, yeah, stay in your little corner and make sure you run a million percent perfect in everything you do, because you're not going to have time to serve God through serving others if you're compulsing all the time. And this really led me to believe something or to think of something recently. And I think it's a really interesting point. So if you're familiar with the Bible, there's the parable of the laborer. Um, so the master gave different laborers different amounts of talents, and um, they had to go out and grow, you know, build more talents and grow their talents and work, and then come back to the master and show him how much they've done for him. And there was that one laborer who buried his talent because he was scared because he knew his master was harsh. and. Before, I used to always think of this as somebody who didn't really care and, yeah, somebody who didn't really take it seriously, but now I thought of it in a different light. If that person truly didn't care, they wouldn't even worry to bury their talent or to hide it, but they were, they were so worried that their master was going to be harsh to them that they went to great painstaking lengths to go and hide and bury their talent and know exactly where it was hidden so that they can come and take that one single little talent and bring it back to him. And to me, on the other side of OCD recovery, this really reminds me of somebody with scrupulosity because you are so scared that God is going to say that you're not perfect enough that all you're worried about is bearing your one talent instead of going out and sharing your talents and growing them. Um, because you're so scared that God is so harsh. And so this is a really good reminder for me because I always thought that scrupulosity kept me more faithful when in fact it was actually quite the opposite. It was holding me back from doing, you know, from growing in the Lord and from growing my talents. So um, that kind of might be a really good reminder for other people who are struggling with this as well. And it's just something really interesting to think about. And... um, so I have two more points. Sorry, I know this is a bit of a longer podcast, but I didn't want to do this half-heartedly. I kind of wanted to sit down and really go through the different points of scrupulosity and kind of some of my own experiences with it, because a lot of times with scrupulosity, I hear people say, well, I'm the only one. Or, you know, you might struggle with X, Y, and Z, but surely I'm the only one who struggled with this. And I'm extra awful because... I did this, or I struggle with these compulsions, and I find that a lot with scrupulosity, with every single subtype, but specifically with scrupulosity, I think that people are very, very hard with themselves, so I think that it's helpful to talk about these things, because then people will start to realize that they're not the only one, and they're not quite so isolated or weird as they thought they were, so two more points, and I'll try to keep it short, but one point that I wanted to say and and bring up is that a lot of people are scared that when they go to therapy for this, they're going to kind of, you know, not become so strict with themselves or not um, be quite so morally strong as they used to be or hold the same convictions as they used to. And one thing that I want to say is you can still, um, you can still stay firm about your values while going through therapy. So I'm going to give you one example of when I did this through therapy, so, um, or through my therapy journey. So I was in California for my intensive program, and my therapist and I had already been working through some of my scrupulosity compulsions and fears. So it was good to be able to kind of already get the thought pattern down and recognize, oh, this is OCD, this isn't OCD, and I can kind of begin to identify what was my scrupulosity and what was actually like a genuine conviction of mine. And so one time we went to Starbucks and um, he told me that he wanted me to tell a little lie. And so he was like, well, when the, um, 
when the person asks for your name, um, just give them a random name. So for me personally, if they're like, oh, can I have a name for that order? I could be like, oh, Billy Bob Joe. But if they say, oh, what's your name? I'm going to say Jenny. Because if I don't say Jenny, it's a lie. And I know that for a lot of people, they might think that's dumb, and they might think that that's being too strict. But our my church firmly believes that you should not lie. And so for me, that was a lie, and that was something that I was not comfortable doing, and I told him that, and he was fine with that because I wasn't following it because um, I was holding myself to a higher standard. I was following it because that is genuinely what my church believes and what... Um, the Bible says. And so in that instance, I held firm and I think it was easier to hold firm because I had made progress with my scrupulosity and he saw that it wasn't something that I was just, um, that OCD was just making me do. It was something that I genuinely was holding my values, um, higher than, than recovery. Well, I wouldn't say that because not lying didn't impede my recovery at all. It wasn't because it was OCD. It was because it was a genuine um, value of mine. And the way that you can tell whether it's OCD or not is like urgency. If you feel like you have to do something right now, otherwise um, you're going to die and go to hell right now or whatever, that's most likely OCD. If you feel like it's all or nothing, that's most likely OCD. If you say, well, I feel like this made me a bad person because blah, blah, blah. You said, I feel. A lot of OCD is I feel like, or what if, or especially I feel, that's a huge indicator of, well, that's a huge indicator that it's OCD. So if you're like, well, I did this and this and this, so I feel like it might make me a bad person. Well, you just said I feel. So that most likely is your OCD speaking rather than, an actual um, conviction or value. So I just wanted to say that in some cases, especially once you've built up a good relationship with your therapist and kind of gotten some recovery under your belt, it's okay to stand firm and say, no, this is genuinely a conviction of mine. I'm not saying it from a standpoint of having this urgency and anxiety. Look, I'm, I'm not anxious at all right now. I'm just telling you genuinely, that's not something that I'm comfortable doing. And if there's no anxiety behind it and you're just saying it because it's a genuine conviction of yours, I think that's okay. And um, a lot of people might think then their therapist is going to freak out. And it was quite the contrary where my therapist, um, I mean, he thought he might have thought it was kind of weird that I refused to lie um, in that case. But he never told me that. He was just like, okay, well, let's continue on with the other things we were going to do. And um, it wasn't something that he forced me into. And I think a lot of people think that your therapist is going to force you into doing something. Listen, you pay your therapist. They don't pay you. <laughs> you know, like, they're there to help you. They're not there to hinder you. And so, especially if you build up a good relationship with them and you prove to them that you're willing to put in the work, I think that's a huge one. If you haven't proven to them that you're willing to put in the work and that you're really trying, they might be like, eh, I don't really believe you. I think that really is OCD. I don't, I don't have any proof otherwise that you've been fighting against your OCD. But as soon as you prove that you're really working towards your recovery and giving it everything that you have, they're going to see when you are refusing to do something because your OCD is telling you to refuse versus you're refusing to do something because you genuinely don't believe that you should do that. And I think that they can see that pretty easily. The more that they spend time with you and the more they go through your recovery with you, they're going to be able to know. So I wouldn't worry about that so much, but I kind of wanted to share an experience where I went through that because it might be helpful if anybody else has to go through that in the future. Um, and then the last thing that I wanted to say is I think that a lot of people within churches get kind of naive when it comes to scrupulosity and the damage that it can do and OCD and mental health in general. And I've seen this kind of air about people that maybe even if they don't say it out loud, or perhaps some people do say it out loud, they kind of believe that um, Christians are better than mental health. Like, like Christians are above struggling with mental health. I've, I've heard that a lot, not in those exact words, but basically, if you have more faith, you're not gonna be anxious. If you have more faith, you're not gonna be depressed or your OCD is gonna go away. Um, yeah, 
try having more faith and maybe you'll like lose 100 pounds or try having more faith and maybe your diabetes will magically go away. I'd like to hear when that would happen. And like, I'm not saying that in a disrespectful way at all. I'm just saying it as mental health is health. At the end of the day, mental health is health. And I think a lot of people don't really understand mental health and they see mental people struggling with mental health as being weak when really they're actually the ones who are being strong because they have to wake up every single day and fight so hard just to live a normal life. And so I think that in the church, a lot of people have this misconception of like, oh no, since he or she is a Christian, then they're never going to struggle with this at all. So we don't really need to check in on them. Listen, I don't care if somebody's been baptized for 50 years. I don't care if somebody lives this super faithful life and seems like the happiest person ever and just always um, seems like the strongest person ever. Check in on people. Check in on people you love. Check in on people who might not really have people at their side because people still struggle deep down. And um, one thing that is it was kind of hard for me to kind of realize and accept was the fact that even if you're a Christian and a very faithful person, you can still get caught up in a deep depression. You can still get caught up in anxiety and you can still be in the position where you really need help. And it's okay to really need help. It's okay, but I think that a lot of people, um, because it's so stigmatized, they find it harder to reach out and ask for help because they think that other people just expect them to not need help and they almost feel like if they admit that they need help they must be doing something wrong and they must not be quite so faithful and that couldn't be further from the truth and I think that a lot of people who go around and kind of have that mentality of oh just um, pray your worries away um, that's really dangerous because and I'm, I'm going to kind of qualify that with, I think a lot of people are coming from a good spot. Like they're not saying it from a rude spot. They're saying it from like a loving spot in their heart, but they have to realize that although that works for the majority of the population, those who struggle with mental health, that's not gonna work for them. Just like people who have a really hard time losing weight and they gain weight easily, you know, um, just, simple diet and exercise might work for 90% of the people, but then there's that top 10 or whatever who um, it just won't work for. And so you just constantly shoving down their throat this idea of, hey, you just need to um, exercise more and you need to eat healthier. That can make somebody really discouraged because you might not know that throughout months and months and years maybe behind closed doors, they've been doing just that and they've been exercising and eating better than everybody else and it just doesn't work for them and they need a little extra help and that's okay and some people are really ignorant of the fact and I used to be ignorant of this fact as well some people are really ignorant of the fact that people Christians and people in the church still can self-harm it might be behind closed doors but People still do it if they don't get help, and that's where it becomes really scary. So you can't tell somebody, you can't freak out if somebody asks for help and act as if they're some awful person. If somebody is genuinely struggling with anxiety, depression, OCD, any you know eating disorder, anything, they deserve help, they don't deserve ridicule, because for them to come to the point of being willing to ask you for help, it took a lot of courage, and they're already worried what you're going to say. They're worried about your reaction. They don't need to hear your, rea your reaction your, if you're going to react poorly, because they, I guarantee you they've already played out that poor reaction in their head so many times because they're already anticipating that you're going to have a negative reaction. So please just be loving to people if they come and ask you for help because it's really scary and it takes a lot of courage to ask for help. But a lot of people can be self-harming and self-harm isn't always cutting yourself. It's not always making yourself bleed. I used to self-harm and the way that I would self-harm because I was so scared that if I would actually hurt myself or take my life, then that would be wrong in the eyes of God and then I would go to hell. So all of that stuff was kind of against um, my fears that OCD had me scared of at the time, but the way that I used to self-harm is I would refuse to eat, and I would basically starve myself, because I felt like I wasn't 
worthy to eat. I felt like I didn't deserve to eat. And that was something that was really hard for me, and that is self-harm. There are other forms of self-harm that people don't even know, right? Refusing to um, sleep, maybe. Saying, like, I don't deserve to sleep. I need to do all of these things, and if I don't do them, then I don't deserve to sleep. Or forcing yourself to work 80 hours a week because if you don't, then you don't deserve to eat or you don't deserve to rest. There are so many ways that somebody could be self-harming that you might not even realize. So please just be gracious with people. Um, scrupulosity is genuinely one of the hardest things that people could, somebody could have to deal, deal with, and it stays with you for life. And I think that's the hard thing because you might be doing really well for a while and you might just slip back one day and really kind of have a little lapse or a relapse and it's really hard to pick yourself back up and kind of accept the fact that you're going to you're going to be struggling with this for your whole life but you really do need to just pick yourself back up dust yourself off and keep going that's something that's really hard to accept and so if you know somebody with scrupulosity please just Give them a, a little extra love, be a little extra patient with them, and a little more encouraging, and really go um, out of your way to really show them that you've been noticing the progress they're making, and it's hard. It really is hard, and I will say that for the loved ones who are the direct support system of someone going through um, scrupulosity OCD, it's sometimes harder for the support system than it is for the patient. I've seen this before. I've I've seen this within my own family. I've seen this within other families. So please, if you are the support system of somebody going through this, take time to relax. Take time to take a break because it can be really overwhelming and really discouraging for you as well. And make sure that if you aren't directly um, involved with somebody who is going through recovery like this, Make sure to encourage their family members as well and their direct support system because I guarantee you that they're feeling the wear as well and they need the encouragement just as much. So please just go out and uh, be more understanding, more loving towards people, not to the point where you're going to just let anything go, anything slide and you're just going to say, oh, hey, cool, like you just killed that person, but I still love you. Yay, let's just be friends and go through. No, you can still have your own moral compass. You can still you know, have your standards, but you can still be loving to people and understanding when they need help, because I guarantee you, one day you're going to need help, and if you never, ever helped somebody who needed help before, and you always put them down, there's probably not going to be that many people in your corner when you need encouragement, so keep that in mind. That kind of sounds like blackmail. I'm sorry, I didn't intend it to be like that. I just kind of want you to put yourself in other people's shoes, and, um, that's about it. Sorry, this podcast was way over the place, all over the place. It was really long, but I didn't want to just do it half-heartedly, and I didn't mean to preach to you. Please forgive me if it came off that way, um, but also please share with this with people who might find it helpful, and um, let me know um, on Instagram or through email if you have any ideas for future episodes or if you have questions on this episode or just want to connect. Um, I love hearing from people. I love hearing about your recovery journey and hearing about your progress. And so I'd love to hear from you. And until next week, this is Jenny signing off.